Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by King Arthur Baking Company a 100% employee-owned B Corp. King Arthur Baking is the ultimate baking resource providing the highest quality ingredients for the most delicious baked goods while inspiring connections and community through baking. King Arthur is excited to announce our new Double Zero Pizza Flour for making authentic Neapolitan-style pizza in both home ovens and high-heat portable pizza ovens. Formulated to create an extensible dough that is easy to shape, its Double Zero is perfect for producing pies with an airy, crisp crust and chewy interior, achieving those quintessential leopard spots, a trademark of good Neapolitan pizza. I've been using King Arthur's bread flour for baguettes and other loaves for many years, and was obviously very curious when I found out they'd be releasing their Double Zero. It's a blend of 100% American-grown wheat. All of the other Double Zeros I've used in the past have come from Europe. I'm happy to know that I can now get flour from my own backyard. Each 3-pound bag yields approximately 10 12-inch pizzas, perfect for a pizza party. You can find King Arthur's Double Zero Pizza Flour in grocery stores nationwide, including Publix and Kroger, or online at Amazon.com and KingArthurBaking.com. Use discount code MODERNIST20 for 20% off Double Zero Pizza Flour until the end of 2021. Valid up to three bags. King Arthur Baking Company. Try us once. Trust us always. Welcome to the Modernist Pizza Podcast. This is episode four. Know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Rolling in the dough. Dough is a living, breathing thing. It rises, it reacts to its environment, temperature, time. It's an extensible object that shapes the way we interact with pizza. But how malleable is it? People are pushing the boundaries of what constitutes crust throughout the country, giving new parameters to how we think about grain builds, proofing, shaping, baking, and handling the process of pizza making in general. While there are unlimited options for pizza toppings, Nathan posits that what might set it apart the most is its base. Wherever pizza went in the world, it mutated because people made their own versions. And as soon as it mutated, people then would adopt those local versions as the one true way. There's not that much to a pizza. So what could you change if you wanted to really mess with the definition of a pizza? Well, the biggest thing you change is the crust. You can have the crust thick, you can have the crust thin. 
You can have the crust uh, super crispy. You can have the crust super bready. It's very much like it's a focaccia or other bread. In Naples, they like the crust to be very soft. And there's a phrase in Italian, like a handkerchief. An even funnier thing to us is there's a group in Naples that controls the official definition of pizza, or Neapolitan pizza anyway. They try to be the pizza police. And one of their recent campaigns in Italy is to make these posters that show a couple at a table biting into a piece of pizza. And the caption on the poster is, if you hear a crunch, it's not authentic. (laughs) I just love this because, of course, first of all, most people love the crunch. (laughs) Whether you consider the sensory neuron of crunch an auditory or tactile stimulus, Sight is very much involved in how we perceive pizza crust as well, as Francisco explains. So another signifier slash idiom that happens within pizza is holding the fold. Can you tell me what that means to you and whether or not that's important? I mean, it's important to certain styles, right? I mean, to hold the fold is a quality aspect that we assign to, like, say, uh, New York style pizza. And what this means is that you're going to take your slice of pizza, which is a triangle for the most part, and you're going to fold it. And is it going to stay straight? And, you know, holding the fold or holding a plank is what some people call it, is that, you know, if it holds a fold, it's a sign of quality for the pizza. And I agree with that because if you have what is called a tip sag, too much tip sag, which means that, I don't know how else to explain it, that the tip of the pizza starts to sag, starts to droop. Uh, it means that the pizza started to cool down. Maybe it wasn't baked long enough, etc. There's many reasons why a pizza won't hold a fold. But if it does hold a fold, for New York style pizza, it's a sign of quality. But if I'm talking about Neapolitan, it will never hold the fold. I mean, it's, it's, and it has the most amount of tip sag than any pizza you'll ever see. It's supposed to. That is a quality aspect for Neapolitan pizzas too. You lift a slice and it just it completely wants to just droop and fall out of your hands. So different pizzas, different styles, different quality aspects. I'd like to think when American singer-songwriter Kenny Rogers sang, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, It was about pizza crusts. The Mojave Desert may be a popular tourism destination because of its glowing gambling capital, Las Vegas, but it's also an unexpected destination for pizza. John Arena and his cousin Sam co-founded Metro Pizza two and a half miles from the Strip. That's where they bet on the house. I was born into a pizza-making family in New York. My family owned pizzerias on Long Island. I started working my family pizzeria when I was about seven years old. I actually became a pizza maker when I was 13 years old in 1967. So I've been making pizzas a little over 54 years. It's the only job I've ever had. I've made pizzas all over the world. My cousin and I moved to Las Vegas in 1980 and opened up first pizzeria on June 1st, 1980. And we've been at it ever since. The first pizzerias in Las Vegas were people that were not coming from a pizza making background, but had come from a place with a pizza culture. And we're trying to replicate the pizzas of that area where that they came from. And then the next generation, guys like Carmine Vento came out, who was a Brooklyn pizza maker, came out and brought his skill set. There were people coming from Detroit. There were several Detroit style pizza makers coming out. And if you look at the pizza scene in Las Vegas now, we have a mate, we have Flor- Floriana Pastori, who was a world champion Neapolitan pizza maker. You know, Settebello, which is also a world class Neapolitan pizzeria. 
We have great New York style pizza makers. We have great Detroit style pizza makers. We have pizza makers from Buffalo. Vincent Rotolo is doing a great Brooklyn style pizza. Pizza culture in Las Vegas is so diverse now that, you know, for somebody to come move to Las Vegas and say, oh, the pizza here is terrible. I can't find anything I like. You just haven't opened your eyes and looked. You're dealing with a different kind of climate there too. How did you adjust your pizza recipes to be able to bake in the middle of, you know, the Mojave Desert? The main issue was humidity. So we we had to adjust in terms of protecting the dough from the, from the dry air. But other than that, the adjustment was not as great as people think. And I think you know, that's important, an important revelation in the pizza industry. It's really, you know, it's more about science now than mythology and rote learning. People are digging deep now. You know, and that's, that's why I think right now the pizza makers of today are way more knowledgeable than they were when I was growing up. You know, basically when I was growing up, you did what you, you did what your uncle Vinny told you to do. You know, or, or what your father told you to do, or your grandfather told you to do. And it was no real science or thought process going into it. There was just, this is what I do. You know, I have a bucket with a line drawn on it. That's how much water I put in the bowl. Handful of salt. However much yeast I have lying around in the package left over from the day before. That's what goes in. Nobody was measuring accurately. Nobody was taking temperatures. Nobody was aware of implementing bread baking technique the way we see now. The scene has changed completely. I think today's today's really engaged amateur is more knowledgeable about about the science of pizza making than than previous professionals were. Well, that's nice of John to say about the engaged amateurs, but to run a business, it's a little different. It depends on putting out a consistent product, one that clients can depend on, a reliable dealer. Well, we, first of all, we measure everything. You know, we we weigh all the ingredients. So that was a big change that gave us consistency. A lot of the adaptations that were made by Feel in the past were made by Feel because you weren't accurately measuring anything. You had to adjust. Chances are, if you had measured the ingredients, the adjustments that you were making that you thought were based on humidity, cloud cover, et cetera, et cetera, all the myths of pizza making, I think if you had been measuring, you were getting a consistent product and wouldn't have had to adjust by Feel. But there's something romantic about pizza making by feel, right? Kind of like how Vegas is romanticized in a way, leaving it all up to the draw. Yes, we're changing up flowers, but isn't there more we can do? Francisco goes inside the dough to explore the realm of inclusions. When we talk about inclusions is basically stuff you put in dough that is not part of the dough corn or sprouted grains or mustard seeds or sunflower seeds, sesame seeds, you name it. It's inclusions that are textural, flavorful, but never form a functional part of the dough. I'm a huge fan of it. I mean, I think that it it adds another place where you can put stuff on pizza, right? Uh, We're starting to run out of places to put stuff on pizza. So in the dough is one of them. And it's not just solid stuff, okay? So you can make, uh, you can add stuff like uh, vegetable purees to your pizza dough or even porridges, like like one of my favorite ones was to make a porridge with forbidden black rice. And by porridge, I mean it's like this very like thick paste made with cooked forbidden black rice. And you mix that into the dough, and it just makes for a wonderful dough. I mean, it, it's, it's very dramatic because it's like very dark in color. But the aroma and the flavor and the texture that, that these porridges give to the dough is fantastic. You can align it to whatever topping you're putting on it. So we make... We have a dough that we put mustard seeds into. 
And we, one of the toppings on these, this mustard seed pizza is going to be pastrami. It adds another dimension to the pizza that makes sense to, to the whole concept itself. But if you want to stick solely to grain, look no further than Pam Young. I met her decades ago during her first foray into the food world as a pastry chef at Room for Dessert in New York City. She's since made a mark for herself as a baker at Samia in Brooklyn and Floor in London. During the pandemic, the UK shut down, and businesses were looking for ways to take away food, which isn't the big thing in Big Bend City. That's where ASAP Pizza came to be. That's not the real story here. Got Young thinking about dough more than ever, asking, what more can she do with hers? As a chef in residence at Stone Barns this summer, a program of Stone Barn Center in Westchester, New York, in partnership with the restaurant Blue Hill, Chef Pam Young featured only one crust on the menu, and it was 100% whole wheat. The crust for me is um, much more than just the vehicle. I think in most places, it's a very neutral vehicle for whatever's on top. But for me, it's an integral part of the pizza. Texture, acidity, sweetness. I've been exploring grains for, I'd say, over 10 years now, both on the growing, milling, and baking side of things. I had won a grant from the James Beard Foundation to study whole grains. And as part of that trip, I went to Anson Mills in South Carolina. I went to visit Anders Born in Jutland in Denmark, a mill in Sweden, and a grower, Per Gruppe, in Denmark. So that whole trip sort of changed my whole viewpoint. And to be fair, all of that interest was piqued by spending a month at Tartine Bakery in 2012. They were working on their third Tartine book, which was all about whole grains, and I got to taste so many different breads that they were working on that I'd never tasted before. It kind of blew my mind. So I think because white flour has been so uh, ubiquitous, I'm not used to the flavor and the assertiveness of whole grain breads and pizzas, etc. Not only that, but it behaves much differently than white flour, which is pretty much a a shelf-stable product devoid of most nutrients. And it's very predictable. Most recipes are geared towards it. You can follow the recipe and it will always be the same. But with whole grains, it's more of a live product. But this living, breathing product takes patience to produce. Using bread-baking techniques like utilizing pre-ferment, Young extends the fermentation time to help break down the structure of the wheat itself, making it more digestible and, in a sense, more delicious. You know, the fermentation process brings much more aromatic compounds and flavors to the dough itself. So I've actually made quite a bit of pizza, but not 100% whole grain. It is very challenging, and um, I think it's because, you know, even the same grain from different growers can re- can behave very differently, and that's all dependent on soil, weather, terroir. So, you know, like anything else, it's not like you're going to use the same flour with the same name from different places and expect the same result. With so many variables, what are Young's controls? For her, pre-ferment set the stage for her doughs. This particular dough that we're working with for this residency is a hybrid dough and that it's a has two different preferments. One is a sourdough preferment, a levan. The other one is a poulish. And so the poulish is a yeast preferment. Both of those preferments are using whole grain flours. The poulish is made with spelt and the levan is made with einkorn. Aside from that, the other flours are two other wheats, uh, Redeemer, Glen, and Dillon. Primarily, it's Redeemer and Glen, and then there's a 5% of Dillon, which we've switched out different flowers to, to test. And there's 
in baker's percentages, 3% salt, 3% olive oil. And the hydration on this dough, although we've been playing with lots of different hydrations, is currently 88%. So you'll find that a lot of, especially grains grown in the United States, are much thirstier. So, you know, something that might sound preposterous for a pizza dough with the whole grain feels much like maybe a 70% white flour dough. All the buzz about bread baking a while back was about hydration. But for pizza, it's always been more geared towards how long is your fermentation time. Obvious to Young, it's about both. The synergy of exactly what pizza is made of. But it's also about how to get the freshest grains. And for her, it's milling her own. You know, one of my prized possessions is my flour mill. I have a Como. But I've also used a lot of mock mills. Those are great as well. I got one when we opened Semilla. And I unfortunately haven't brought it to London with me because electronics don't work over there. But it just was a game changer for me to mill my own flour. You know, a mock miller or a Como is, is definitely affordable enough for most uh, home bakers. But anything larger or for, you know, greater production involves a bigger investment and bigger amount of space. Um, here, we're lucky enough to have an Osti roller style mill that we mill all the flour on. And it's certainly doable for a certain quantity. You obviously have to buy the right mill for the right volume that you're going to be doing. But the flavor and the aromatics, and also because whole grain has so many oils in it that uh, it could go rancid if you don't mill fresh. I think if you're looking to do whole grain, it's a kind of an integral investment to make. The day I visited Young at Stonebarns, her friend was dining there. At that time, I had been trying to get in touch with Massimo Laveglia for months. A few months back, he opened, well reopened industry in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. There was already an existing pizzeria there, but when he bought it from the previous owner, he decided not to go through the hassle of changing the name. Industry means the factory, but Laveglia's pizza joint is anything but. Okay, I opened in March 2017. I At that time, I never, I never made pizza in my life, you know? I was working in a restaurant, and the guy who was supplying flour uh, he knows that I always wanted to do something like in New York. My idea was to open a coffee shop, and he's like, "Yo, there is a small shop in next to your house, and the guy is making pizza, but he wants to sell the business. You should go talk to him." And you know, I came here, I talked to the guy, and we find a deal, and then I took it over. Basically, like after a couple of weeks, and I never at that point I never made pizza in my life, like never. The first months was a disaster. <laughs> you know, well, I couldn't. You're you're originally from Florence, right? Yeah, I'm from Pistoia. It's uh, like 15 minutes from Florence. What is the pizza like there? Uh, we do a very thin crust style. You know the Roman style, the thin crust? Yeah. The round pizza? Yeah, it's, it's mostly very similar to that, but even more thin. It's like a cracker, to be honest. You know, it's the typical pie that you can eat like two or three easily by yourself. And then when I start to work the first months, you know, my idea was like, oh, I want to open a business, want to make money, I want to make money, right? But then I realized right away that if you don't do something, first of all, you don't make no money making pizza. It's just a lot of work. <laughs> but then, I don't know, I just became passionate about it. And I start to, you know, study a little bit, learn, watching video. I took a big step in 2018 when I called one of my friends from Rome, Luca Pizzetta. He's one of the best pizza all in the world, I think. And I called him and I asked him, yo, you have to come help me for like, you know, for a week. I want to learn. And he came here and he showed me a lot of technique. You know, I wanted to do like the Roman style pizza. 
And from them, you know, I learn a lot. Laveglia is referencing La Storia de Bira de Borgo Roma, where Luca Pizzetti is the pizzaiolo. But no way is Lindustry pizza Roman style. If anything, it's ever-changing. Okay, so right now we use to preferment. We do a Polish with yeast, and we use a Levan, liquid Levan. And we use a combination from Italian flour and American flour. We had a flour from uh, Vermont, and we use a flour from north of Italy. So, but the, the recipe, we don't really have a recipe. We keep changes. Sometimes we do a foolish, sometimes we do a bigger. You know, we don't stick with the same recipe all the time. We like to change a lot here. We don't have a space, so we do a lot of room temp. So, for example, if we do the, if we prep the preferment the night before, we always la- leave it outside. I know I can control the temperature in my door room. I have a small door room, but I can control the temperature. I don't have a lot of fridge. So we do, we do all the preferment at night. When we come in the morning, we start mixing. We bulk ferment for like four or five hours, basically. And then fridge overnight again. So we've been using this system from when we open, and it works well for us. It's an open kitchen, kind of. There's about 150 square feet for the customer to stand in. The crowd often spills out into the sidewalk and feels like a party. There's a small mixer in the back, but after a recent renovation, Laveglia decided to add a window into his world. Well, actually, that of the dough room. There is a restaurant close by here. Missy is a pasta restaurant, so they have this uh, pasta room in the left side where people watch, you know, guys making pasta. And I was always obsessed. I'm like, oh, I want to have a door room that people can watch us making pizza, you know, and making dough and stuff. Yeah. I mean, are you showy? Do you do pizza acrobatics? Um, how do you stretch your dough? How do no, you shape no. your we dough? Go, we, go, we go very gentle. We go very gentle with our dough. A guy actually like a week ago asked me, he was sitting at the counter because we have like a bar counter and people can watch when we make pizza very close. It's like, oh, can you throw your dough in the hair and like do... Some crazy stuff. I'm like, listen, I cannot do it. Like, it's very, the dough is very wet, and you have to be very gentle. So it's not, it's just not the kind of dough that you want to do that. What was originally supposed to be a cafe has now taken center stage as a place for pizza in New York City, the city that never sleeps. Uh, yesterday I left here like 11:30, 12. I was here this morning at seven o'clock. It's just, it's beautiful, you know. When you wake up and you. I wake up this morning and I couldn't wait to make the dough for the focaccia and I'm like, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Uni, a company known for bringing portable pizza ovens to backyards all over the world. It used to be that to get an authentic Neapolitan-style pie, you either had to wait in line at a wood-fire pizzeria or get on a plane to Naples. But Uni changed all that. Founded in 2012, the company launched the world's first portable pellet pizza oven that can heat up to 950 degrees Fahrenheit, the searing temperature needed to get a bubbly, thin-crust Neapolitan pizza. Over the years, Uni pizza ovens have continued to define the category with carbon steel shell for insulation, optimized airflow engineering for precise temperature control, and new models with different fuel options, wood, charcoal, and gas, to suit the needs of every outdoor cook. The latest model, the super versatile Unikaru 16 multi-fuel oven, makes it so that you can choose between three fuels, fire to fire. So on days when you have time to chill out with a glass of wine in the wood smoke, as your log heats up, you can. And for those nights when you're in a rush, all you have to do is hook up the gas, and in the time it takes to shape your dough and chop some toppings, 
your uni oven will be ready to go. Learn more at uni.com. That's O-O-N-I.com. Not to neglect Neapolitan style and all this pizza talk, but did you know there's a neo-Neapolitan concept out there called Canoto style? A younger cast of Pizzaiolo like Carlo San Marco, Diego Vitigliano, and Francesco Martucci are making their mark in the city of Naples by breaking tradition. But so is Anthony Mancieri, the patron saint of Una Pizza Napolitana in New York City. Francisco first explains how different the Canoto style really is before we visit with Mangieri, as he's reopening his latest christening of UPN yet again. So Canoto is, it means like life raft. It's a, like a Neapolitan pizza, but it has a huge, like ballooned up crust. Um, and so if you cut through it, you have this like beautiful membrane and, you know, huge ovulation and so forth. So it's, we've become obsessed with large crumbs in our baked products. If we go back to the world of bread, uh, where Chad Robertson was like the pioneer of high hydration sourdoughs, and you have, you know, he, his sourdough is beautiful sourdough, like deep brown on the outside. You cut into it, it's got these huge holes, beautiful bread. And then everybody started making or wanted to make bread like that. It was a huge thing to do. It still is. Then you have the guys in Italy started to realize how impressive it was to see this huge crumb. But for Mangieri, it wasn't the Italians that influenced his crumb structure. It was his time in San Francisco, between Mission and Market, that he first let his dough really rise. Now he aims for it to be an everyday occurrence, whether he expects it or not. You know, I change flour like every day of the week, no joke. I honestly don't think I've ever made dough the same way twice. I, and the sad thing is I don't write anything down. So because I'm usually like making it up as I go, a lot of times at night, like when I finally will eat a pizza, I'll be like, oh man, today was really great. And I truly don't know what the hell I did in the morning when I was mixing it. I mean, every little thing affects the dough. I mean, so, there's so many micro adjustments within the temperature, the mixing time, the water percentages, the flour mixture, to the way you store it, to the, even the box that you store it in. I mean, you know, forget about storing it even in a wood proofing box, but if you were to just say the difference between the two different kind of plastic dough proofing trays, the ones from Italy that are thinner and more flexible, make a completely different dough texture when it proofs than the ones that you get in America that are like a thicker fiberglass, those really like heavy molded ones that don't flex, completely different. So yeah, the dough, so it's, all, it's always changing. Mangieri has opened and closed locations in New Jersey, New York City, and San Francisco. Each location has its particularities and permutations, but he's always had a guiding principle. Yeah, what are the results you wanna get? What is the canon of the perfect pie? You know, it's one is aesthetics. I mean, I'm somebody who is driven by two main things first when it comes to anything food wise is texture and the aesthetics. That's regarding the pizza crust. Like I know when a pizza comes out of the oven, when I see it, I'm like, that's what I want. And, and then I feel happy about it. Um, and then texturally, I mean, my dream is to be able to make a pizza that's naturally leavened. And when I say that, I mean really naturally leavened. A lot of people like to throw that around, but then there's yeast somewhere lurking in the background. Um, there's no yeast in ours at all, anywhere from beginning to end. 
And also, you know, I've always tried to do a dough that never is in a temperature controlled room. Now, I mean, obviously I have the air conditioning on in the space in the summer and I have the heat on in the winter, but the idea being room temp, like I think of it as similar to like tomatoes. I love tomatoes when they're not refrigerated. I love mozzarella when it's never been in a refrigerator. Same with dough to me. To me, dough has a life and I'm not like super into the idea. And I think it makes a great pizza, but I've never been in pursuing that path, which is like make a dough, stick it in the fridge for three days. And, and I, and it, it's great and it makes a great product, but my dream and my path and my, my searching for dough has always been like, how can I make a naturally leavened product that's not refrigerated, that is highly hydrated, highly digestible and airy and light. And it's, it's a it's a very elusive uh, dream that I rarely achieve. Amongst the chaos, even when Mangieri makes the immaculate pizza, which may only be a few pies a night, in his eyes, nothing is sacred. I love the old style, and I love Domichelli, which is like you know very flat, um, like almost like on the bordering towards unleavened um, and highly hydrated. But that being said, um, I think. The, the Kinoto style in general has been a huge boost for N- Naples more than anything else. Because what I found, and my family is from there, I've been going to Naples my whole life. Like when I opened Una, there was nobody in America making Neapolitan pizza. I think like they kind of just rested on the fact that they're Neapolitan, they're in Italy, they're great, and the ingredients are great, and that's it. And there was no progression. There was no, you know, I think it's a... It's tricky when you, when you um, want to stay traditional with something, any food, but within staying traditional, there's still progress because things change, ingredients change, suppliers change. That's not to say you disregard tradition, but you're still trying to evolve and keep it current and keep it as good as it can be. What I think the Kinoto thing has done is it, it really gave younger pizza makers in Naples like a voice a reason to progress, a reason to think like more worldly, you know, and not just be so closed in this idea of like, we're in Naples, this is the way it is, that's it, we're the best and nothing else needs to be discussed. That being said too, uh, I don't know what our pizza is, keynote or whatever. The way that our pizza is with the puffy crust, that just happened by accident. In San Francisco, when I opened out there, I had had the place in East Village and we're, you know, I was trying to make like really traditional Neapolitan pizza or whatever my version of that was. And while I was out there, I just, all, all of a sudden, like I was making pizza and it just started, and I don't know if it was the mixture of flour or what, what was going on out there, but it just started to get more puffy and more puffy. And I just started, at first I was getting really frustrated with it because it was getting these big bubbles that like we had to like kind of bang off and like clean the plates before we could bring it to the table. And I was like, ah, oh, what's going on with this dough? And then I just sort of gave into it because as I, what I, when I would eat it, I was like, oh, it's actually, it doesn't look the same as the what I was doing, but I enjoy eating it more. I don't know what ours is. Ours is whatever. It's just, it's an American guy making pizza. But it's more than just more crust. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, you know, I think that's a, that's a, um, 
I think that's a, a foolish thing that some pizza makers that are against it think that they just think it's like, oh, well, you just don't open it as much or you leave more crust on the edge and don't put the toppings there and then you make kinoto. I mean, I guess it would still come out puffed up, but that's not what I'm doing and that's not what these guys are doing. What, what I'm doing and what they're doing in different ways, and most of these guys are all using refrigeration now, which also is an unheard of thing in Naples. Are there any patron saints of dough? I don't know if there's a... I got to look that up if there's a patron saint of dough. If there is, I need his help. <laughs> um, there is a patron saint of pizza makers in Naples, and that's uh, St. Anthony Abate. Uh, there's two St. Anthony's, St. Anthony of Padova, St. Anthony Abate. Uh, St. Anthony Abate's feast day is January 17th. Um, in northern Italy, he's the protector also of animals, which is why you often see him with a pig. Um, in the south and in other parts of Italy, he's also the protector of people that work with fire. So you'll oftentimes see uh, an image of him at like a firehouse or a bread baker or a pizza maker. So, um, yeah, I've always had him around. He was on the back of my one of my first business cards. There's a, a big wooden image of him that I actually made when I was opening in San Francisco that's still uh, up behind the oven here. He's the third one in with the pig, and I actually have him tattooed on my arm also. So, yeah. In the 1990s, Patty Scheinberg, a food scientist who worked for Pizza Hut, transformed the industry with a single innovation, stuffed crust. Mozzarella was no longer relegated to just being on top of the pie. This made crust more appealing to customers who often left them on their plate. While pizza as a whole is anything but polarizing, are crusts the crux of the industry? There's a market now for alternative crusts. I don't mean something intended to change tradition. They're often for a certain populace, either with dietary concerns or restrictions. Cauliflower was first, paving the way for the Better For You pizza category, which has grown over 40% in the last couple years, according to Nielsen data. In just the last six months, over 6 million new consumers have purchased an alt-crust. Bonza is likely best known as a company that's converted chickpeas as a base for well-known culinary categories. From chickpea pasta, mac and cheese, rice, and now pizza crusts. They're not necessarily new inventions, but for many Americans, they're a fresh look at pizza. Lee Hamp, VP of product at Bonza, believes that the table is set for chickpea pizza. We chose to move into the pizza space because along the lines of our mission of helping people eat more chickpeas by creating the foods that people love out of beans, the fact of the matter is that people love to eat pizza. And there is precedent in the world of soca and farinata for making a dough-like sort of batter-based fried crust or fried product out of chickpeas that people can top with herbs and other things. Um, and that really inspired us um, from sort of a food world and recipe perspective and gave us the confidence that we could probably take what we learned from making pasta out of chickpeas and try our hand at making a dough out of chickpeas and baking that up. What we've seen over the years is the more that we can make our products taste ideally as good as the real thing, and if not almost as good as the real thing, the more likely customers are to buy us once, buy us again, tell their friends and family about it. So it was really important to us to have traditional and classic pizza be our North Star as it pertained to what we were aiming for. So 
we talk to customers say, what do you like about classic pizza? And they want that sort of crispy crust uh, that sort of crunches along the edge once you get to the end of a slice. They want that sort of chewy and doughy and glutinous center. Um, They want that yeasty flavor that can be a really good base for adding toppings. And that is what we set out to do. And with with what we know about chickpeas and with the power of chickpeas, we were able to sort of harness the best of chickpeas to make that happen Um, with, of course, chickpeas being the star ingredient, but also other whole ingredients like olive oil and yeast and herbs to create something that tastes really delicious, but is also very familiar. Their crust is gluten-free, vegan, and very much a welcome alternative for those that can't eat a wheat-based diet. Does it handle like a traditional pizza? Does it really have to? As you've now heard, crusts are elastic in their definition. But would you believe me if I told you that spinning doughs is competitive? Like Olympic caliber competition? U.S. pizza team director Brian Hernandez, contributor to PMQ Pizza Magazine, thinks that boredom precipitated pizza for sport. It's kind of a, a gathering of uh, pizzioli from across the country, um, men and women, owners, operators, just employees as well that uh, from many different states, different cities, all different styles of pizza that compete under the one name of the U.S. pizza team. And basically we have numerous competitions throughout the year that kind of act as trials up towards the grand prize of going to the World Pizza Championships in Parma, Italy. The World Pizza Championships is kind of our Super Bowl. So we work all year towards that. Our competitions, um, they cover culinary basics as well as uh, pizza acrobatics, which is freestyle acrobatics behind the back, through the legs, all that stuff. So um, they they do a lot of the freestyle acrobatic spinning, uh, largest dough stretch, and fastest pie maker on the athletic side of our competitions. Now let's talk about acrobatics because many people may have not heard the two words together, pizza acrobatics. What exactly is that? These guys are very athletic. They usually do routines, three-minute routines, where they're doing handstands while spinning pizza dough, sometimes multiple doughs. I've seen them do a blindfold. I've seen them light the doughs on fire while blindfolded. (laughs) So uh, basically, it's a very creative side of the physical nature of pizza making. All the things that you do in the pizzeria, like slapping the dough out to get it ready, a lot of pizza makers, they tend to turn those into games to either keep their employees interested or to pass the time or to, you know, increase their skill. You know, it's like, hey, I can make those pizzas faster than you. Uh, I bet you can't. Now it's a competition. Each competitor is given 12 dough balls weighing 200 grams each, about seven ounces. But they're expected to put these together to form six competition doughs. What does that mean? Basically, uh, there's a special dough recipe that we use for acrobatics, which makes it a lot hardier and basically more resilient. It's not going to create holes. It'll spin a lot longer. Um, So when they take these two 200 gram dough balls together and they roll them together, basically to make one big dough ball, basically they have the strength of two of these small dough balls. So it's going to stretch a lot longer. It can get a lot bigger before you're going to get some holes in in the middle, which makes it easier for them. Once the holes start coming, it's hard to be able to grab it. Like if you throw it in the air, but basically there's no yeast. A lot of salt. I mean, if you you could eat it, it's not going to hurt you, but it would taste like Play-Doh. And they have five minutes to stretch out this dough ball, right? And then 10 seconds after they finish to adjust the dough to fix any holes. Right. Well, for the uh, just to clarify, the acrobatics, they can bring their own dough balls. For the largest, we do provide them with dough. And uh, they have five minutes, as you said, with 10 seconds once it hits the ground to kind of make it as circular as possible because you're looking for the two widest points 
on the largest. So uh, they, they do a, um, a cross section and they do the average of those two scores. So you get five minutes, which is very slow and kind of tedious, painstaking to watch for the first three minutes. But those last two minutes, I swear, they, that's the some of the most visually breathtaking parts of uh, the pizza acrobatics or athletic side is those large doughs going up into the air. These guys, they basically letting them fall on the top of their wrists so they don't use their fingers and put holes in it. You can see right through it. Competitors also have rehearsed routines, and there are signature moves that you'd more likely equate to the Harlem Globetrotters. There are certain people who do more dance style, kind of incorporate a lot of break dancing. We have a, a member, Scott Volpe, who actually won, I believe it was in 2019, the last time we had gone, he won first place. He does a lot of break dancing moves, and I've gotten a lot of pictures where he's not even on the ground. He'll be in like a mid jump, but not a single part of him is on the ground. It's insane. There are others who are more, um, I don't want to say basics, but you know, if they, it's hard if you're just doing tricks and you can see where you stop and you set up for the next trick, it's got to flow smooth, almost like a dance. So as far as the technique and originality, I'd say dance like for the technique definitely works, but as many specialized moves that you can do, um, there are a lot of moves, I believe it's called the Superman, where they go on a handstand and they get, they grab one dough with their foot and throw it at the judges. You know, there, there are a lot of, of these great moves, but you always have to put your own spin on it. Otherwise, it's just another move that somebody's seen. There's the forward roll whip, the double shoulder roll, the up-down sky high, the ringer. There's a lot that goes into it. And Jamie Culleton, he, um, he was uh, our world champion in Italy, I believe, a year or two before Scott Volpe. And he's down in Florida, Safety Harbor, Florida. But um, he's, he's an amazing uh, pizza athlete as well. He's our U.S. Pizza Team Athletic Director. So he's teaching all the guys new tricks and kind of trying to, you know, prep the next generation of spinners. Anyone can join U.S. Pizza Team. Just go to uspizzateam.com, submit your application. Then Hernandez will be in touch shortly. Relax, we're almost done with the dough. There's an interesting thing that came up while Modernist Cuisine started looking at the elasticity of dough. Now professionals and novices handle pizza dough. So you've got two interesting conflicting issues with pizza. Uh, on one hand, many styles of pizza, not all, but many styles of pizza want there to be uh, a so at least some part of the crust be fluffy and aerated. Well, you only get a puffy dough if your dough has a fair amount of protein in it because it's the protein that is elastic enough to hold the gas in and, and make that puff. But here's the other problem. If you have too much protein in the dough, that same elasticity means you have a hell of a time making a pizza out of it because you take a ball of dough and you try to stretch that dough into a pizza crust and every time you try to stretch it it snaps back uh, and this is the primary source of frustration for people who come to make a, a shape of pizza for the first time unless they've got their dough uh, in hand already so what do you do to make it uh, relax? It, it, fundamentally, there's three things. One is you don't want a super high protein flour. If it's too high protein, it would be too, it'll, it's going to be difficult to stretch. One of the key things you can do 
is you can ferment the pizza for a long period of time, meaning at least overnight. And that long fermentation makes the dough just far, far easier to handle. The yeast in part and the just the flour itself in part in combination with water will relax over a period of time. The, the yeast does emit enzymes that help the dough to relax, but you can also show that if you put no yeast in, uh, if you let it sit for long enough, you get the same relaxation. Well, it turns out that's not the only way to get dough to relax. There are lots of enzymes uh, that will affect a protein. And some of those enzymes will tend to make the proteins in a bread dough or a pizza dough less elastic. And those are called dough relaxers because if you put them in your bread, it'll still hold gas. It will still expand. Um, so you'll still get those benefits of having the elastic protein. But when you manipulate it, for example, to flatten it out and make a nice flat, thin pizza, it won't fight you so much. And the main place these enzymes are found are in a set of fruits. So kiwi, pineapple, papaya, and fig. And it, it does not take very much of these enzymes to relax your dough. If we think about gluten, we think about gluten as like these long strands of protein. And so what the uh, dough relaxer is going to do is like it's like a pair of scissors that's going to shorten these long strands of gluten. And so it's going to relax our dough. So we're not going to have this recoil when we stretch the dough. It's not going to have this huge recoil. What happens if you put too much dough relaxer into your dough is that it turns into soup. Literally, like it's just like this mass of paste. Typically, if you use a dough relaxer, you have to use very, very small amounts. So you, if you're making, let's say, like one kilo of dough, uh, literally two or three drops, drops of pineapple juice are sufficient to relax the dough. And why would you want to relax the dough? People hear dough relaxers and they think of, I don't know, whatever uh, thoughts people have about industrially produced bread or dough and so forth. But it's something that yeah, you could just get from the fruit section in your grocery store and add to your dough. Fruit and pizza dough? We haven't gotten to the fruit on pizza debate yet, but at least we can agree that being diligent in your dough making makes for a better pizza. Thank you to our sponsors, King Arthur Baking Company, Uni, and Bonza. Our guests, John Arena, Pam Young, Massimo Laveglia, Anthony Mangieri, Lee Hamp, and Brian Hernandez. Music by Carol Cleveland Sings, Jack Inslee, our engineer, our logo and episode art by Jenny Acosta, and of course, Modernist Cuisine. In our next episode, episode 5, Sauce, why is the humble plum tomato the gold standard for pizza sauce? According to the AVP, there are only three tomato varieties permitted to make real, authentic pizza napolitana. San Marzano, the most famous infamous. Pianolo, known for being preserved in bunches hanging from a piece of twine. And finally, the Corberino. We'll talk to growers of the two latter tomato types and find out what sets their fruit apart. We'll also find out what happens when a California canning company joins forces with a wood fire pizza legend. How northern Italian pesto Genovese went south and became the go-to green sauce for many pies, and what sauces modernist cuisine constituted as pizza sauce. Spoiler alert, that can of soup you have in the pantry may comply.
Bonza, best known as the gluten-free chickpea-powered pasta company, is proud to announce their recently launched frozen chickpea crust made entirely out of chickpeas. The crust is crispy on the outside, yet soft and doughy on the inside, just like the texture you'd expect from a traditional pie. It's also sturdy enough once sliced to hold up to its toppings. Plus, it tastes delicious. In addition to just the plain crust, Bonza also offers flavors like four cheese, margarita, roasted veggie, and supreme, topped off with red onions, fire-roasted peppers, and rich crumbles of Beyond Meat plant-based sausage. And there's even an option with plant-based cheese for a completely vegan pizza experience. I keep a stash of the plain bonza crust in my freezer for impromptu pizza nights. There are wholesome chickpea canvas for whatever vegetables I find at the farmer's market that week to my favorite pesto from the Italian grocer down the street and the creamy ricotta we usually have in our fridge. Bonza champions the fact that chickpeas are one of the most nutritious foods out there. Its chickpea pizza crust has more protein and fiber than the leading cauliflower crust, which makes eating pizza every night of the week a healthy possibility. Alongside your bonza pasta, mac and cheese, and rice, of course, all made out of chickpeas. Head to eatbonza.com and use code MPP10 for 10% off your first order. We hope you give it a try and love it as much as we do. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.